0: Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation movie podcast. I am your host, Titus. And today, in our PomoCon series, I am conducting an interview with one of my favorite female authors, Tichi Keenan, of Twitter notoriety, soon to be fame, eventually celebrity, already a large Twitter account, and now with a volume published called Domestic Extremist. Uh, you are a domestic extremist and extremely domestic. It's the same thing in your telling. And you have a battle cry for the suburbs, a battle cry for Cool Mom America, for Gen X, for women who are not just proud, but pleased, enjoy themselves, who want and achieve good things, happiness for themselves and their families, the kinds of people it is a pleasure to be around. So I I, have, of course, known you for a while, followed you for years. I am a One of the people who applaud the rise of Peachy, but you are new to the audience. So please, since we'll be talking about your book and your origin story, how you became a domestic extremist and extremely (laughs) domestic, uh, both very implausible and a startling success. You are a Hollywood happy end movie come to life. Please introduce yourself to our audience first.
1: Thank you so much, T2s. First, may I say that it is such an honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast. You know, your, your your podcast is in heavy rotation in my household. We're all huge fans over here in California of T2s. So thank you so much for having me. Who is Peachy Keenan? <laughs> who, who, who is she? Um, So Peachy Keenan is is my pseudonym. I'm a Twitter anon, or and I was totally anonymous until a few weeks ago when I went on TV to promote my book, but it's not my real name. I started writing as Peachy Keenan, tweeting really in 2019, you know, just a play on words, a play on Peachy Kane. And at the time I was working in-house full time as a writer for a very large Hollywood studio. And um, that's what I had done for my whole career. I had been a basically like a corporate, <laughs> a corporate hack writer, you know, in advertising and marketing or big companies. And you know, I knew that if I had shared any of my opinions about politics or Hillary Clinton or motherhood or any anything, I would have been escorted out of the building by security. And you know, or what I would have been beheaded, canceled. It would have been over for me. Like many people, I was in hiding as a conservative, or whatever. But then it sort of took off, and I started writing for the American Mind. I started writing from our longer form essays for the American Mind. I was fortunate that I, you know, I knew someone there through conservative Catholic circles in LA. You get into these sort of small networks. You know, it's very helpful because there's they're pretty small, and people become close friends, and they find an ally, and they hang on to them tightly. I did that for a couple of years. I got a I got a book deal. So yes, my new book, Domestic Extremist, A Practical Guide to Winning the Culture War, just came out. And as far as I know, I am the first pseudonymous writer that Regnery has ever published. So I'm very proud to have broken the Twitter Anon ceiling. (laughs) When it comes to like traditional publishing. And yeah, and so the book is really about like you said, it's inspired by my origin story about being a basic uh, liberal feminist pro choice, devout atheist, you know, whatever, like just sex in the city, you know, lifestyle woman for most of my life and then my sort of conversion you know slowly and then all at once to becoming extremely domestic and now i'm basically this sort of i mean i work you know still but at home i'm basically a housewife housewife with a twitter account very dangerous combination (laughs) men be careful my husband you know maybe he might rue the day when he first showed me how to use twitter which he did I thought, honey, come here, you might enjoy this. Let me check this out. And I was like, what's this? And yeah, and I became a Catholic and I'm, you know, now I'm this sort of far right, dangerous extremist. And so the book is about that. It's about sort of helping people themselves escape, you know, what I consider to be really intense feminist um, brainwashing. It's like escaping from a cult. And I am now, you know, uh, an expatriate of that lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I was struck reading through the book. I, as I said, I've, I've been following you for years, but it was only once I uh, sat down with your volume that I thought, okay, it, it makes sense for, for you not just to be a, a, the right-wing reaction in California, hidden in plain sight, uh, <laughs> envied and execrated at the same time by uh, less happy, more uh, activist people. But uh, but more than that, that uh, you have gone on this journey that in the volume, you try by uh, wit and examples and arguments and autobiographical sections to offer to uh, primarily other women, but of course, all readers. And I think it's as much... Aimed at giving confidence and bolstering the witty arsenal of the conservatives as it is as people who are not conservatives but who are uh, beginning to think that uh, they have to claw their way back to normal. They have to somehow do something to uh, stand up for themselves together because, as you say, this is one of the big insights that conservatism doesn't deal with well anymore that uh, family is the basis of society well if that's true as your book lays out we don't have a society anymore there's an america out there of some kind but there's no society left because the basic task of society is to create families to get people married in the first place and that is not happening as you say it's unprecedented and, and uh, this somehow is connected in my mind with your new rise to success, which I hope will go far, because uh, I have noticed that although this is a historically unprecedented transformative event, nobody is bragging about marriage lessons. There is very little public trumpeting of the unhappiness of the modern American woman. Uh, success, domination of elite institutions, starting with the uh, educational institutions, has Uh, All of this stuff has not made women happy, but nobody is offering them a way back or a way out or even a way to understand what they're going through. It's very hard to think uh, that that success might screw you up, although it's obviously happening. And so maybe this is the time for somebody to talk about how the most basic things that and maternal love is, is the theme that runs throughout your whole book, of course these things are not public anymore but they've also somehow become secrets. Everybody used to know this. Now people either denounce the stuff or uh, are ashamed of it and pretend to ignore it. And we have arrived at a situation truly unprecedented where people don't know these things anymore. The opinions, the confidence behind them, that's just not there. It's a strange kind of success for the social deconstruction of American society. And so somehow uh, somebody has to rise and speak up about this and who, of course, but a daring, a witty woman do it. Maybe tell us a bit about this. How how did you realize that there's something really crazy in a society that is committing suicide because the women are no longer even thinking about marriage and how to get married, how to stay married, how to be happy married. and And, and of course, beyond uh, oneself, the good things that does for society as a whole
1: it is really tragic. I mean, I, I really saw this firsthand. I mean, I'd already kind of become, you know, kind of a domestic extremist. I, I you know, when I started tweeting, I was working, like I said, I was in house, my youngest at the time was in school, and I got this incredible job opportunity, incredible perks, six figures, like I couldn't say no. So I, I went back in office, I hadn't been in an office since before I started having kids, I'd always been freelancing. And I started working at this incredible entertainment company, you know, And it was really unbelievable to have me in that, that environment surrounded by these young millennial girls. They've, they never debated anyone like me. And, you know, I would walk through these hallways. I was really the only parent in the entire office. Okay. This is like a multi-thousand person company. And on my department, it was, I was an in-house creative there. These were like the designers and the web designers and and the writers, all this stuff. And there was like almost no parents. And you would walk by these sort of hushed hallways and there'd be these empty lactation rooms where you could go and pump breast milk for the baby that you had left at the daycare or whatever. There was little freezers and there was beanbag chairs and no one ever used them. People would have calls in them, like have a meeting in there. There was never anyone actually pumping that I witnessed in the office. And I remember thinking to myself like, boy, uh, this is this is super bleak. This is, this is depressing. And women would announce their pregnancy. Everyone would congratulate them. They would have a baby shower, they would disappear and they would come back six weeks later. And i remember asking one and I probably shouldn't have asked, I was like, well, where's your baby? And Oh, he's at school, you know, oh, school. And they would bring up pictures on their phone of their six week old, and I'm talking about like literally a six week old infant dressed as if it's going to school. And that's what they would call the daycare. And I just thought, you know, no, like, that's not it's not okay. And they'd be like, Oh, I'd be like, Oh, well, how many kids do you want to have? Oh, this is it. I would never do two. How can you do two? And there I was with four kids. They thought I was just a total psychopath. Like, this is just, well, this is some weird old lady. And I wasn't, I, what, I was five, six, seven years older than them. I wasn't like, you know, old. And then I had a friend who got married at work that she got pregnant and she was probably in her early thirties. She confided to me that she didn't know what she was going to do because she loved her job, but could not imagine having to leave the baby. so she would talk about, well, we're going to get a nanny and I'm going to do a nanny share with my neighbor because I don't want to use a daycare. Why didn't you use a daycare Peachy? And I would go into my, you know, daycare screed, which was like gave birth to my chapter in the book about daycare. I'm like, I would not outsource my child who I desperately love and wanted and I would die for. Why would I want a stranger making $12 an hour to raise that child? Like I just, that doesn't make sense to me because then you're working your job, but you're really working to pay the daycare. That's your boss. Because when you calculate the costs, which I did, 60, 70% of your after-tax income is going to pay the stranger to do the job for you. And it made no sense to me. And I just emotionally knew I couldn't do it and i was like i told her my reasons why i don't do it what she should do and guess what she never went back she stayed home with her baby and a year later she had another baby and she has never set foot in that office again and she told her friend to call me and her friend called me and her friend was a nurse and her friend crying on the phone i can't tell my coworkers they don't understand i don't want to go back i don't i don't know what i'm going to do and i would sort of counsel them and i realized really going through that process like wow <laughs> Women are not happy with the situation, but they were scared to tell their friends, to talk about it at work, but they could talk to me. You know, they didn't know I was, who even really, how I really felt about everything. And then by a miracle, I got pregnant and I thought it was a little bit, you know, my early forties or whatever. And I wasn't really certain that could even happen, but apparently it can. And so I left and I knew I would never come back. And people asked me at work. A woman, I worked with, just she was in, she was just curious. I was probably six or seven months pregnant. I was about to leave for good, and she's like, "I'm just curious, why didn't you abort this one?" And I was like, "Um, yeah. you know, it's my daughter. Like, I don't want to kill my baby." I just said that to her, and she was like, "Well, sorry, you know, well, I didn't want to." And I was like, "That's okay. You know, it's fine. I understand, but." the attitudes are so hardened, you know, the care they're in this like hard carapace and they just cannot break out. And so I was very grateful, lucky that we, I was able to stay home with all my babies and just seeing that up front, like inside the belly of the beast in corporate America, it is no place for young women. I'm sorry to say that. And that's why I say in the book, you know, your career is overrated. It's not that it's not important or good or it's, not that it's, that it's bad to work if you're a woman. That's all fine. I work. You know, Look at me. Here I am. But there are some things that are just more important at certain times in your life. And we seem to have forgotten all that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, of all the chapters, the one about daycare is bound to uh, <laughs> shock people the most because it's something not even conservatives are willing to talk about. In a way, it, it, it's the most revealing issue that, as you say, you shouldn't be paying strangers to do this.
1: You know, it's funny how, like, Conservative. This is not a conservative issue. This is human, na- human nature, human nature, common sense, and it transcends, you know, becoming a domestic extremist. You know, it's like not. It's not about party politics at all. You know, our, I believe our problems really can't be solved politically. These sort of soul-based internal problems of how to be a human, they're so much bigger than that.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's true in a way. The fact that we've we've run out of society, we can't get people married, reduces us almost to barbarism. Uh, (laughs) How far do you have to go back to be in a situation where arrangements for mating and raising children are unstable, chaotic? Uh, Who knows? Maybe it, it would be better if we didn't find out. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but in another sense, it at least is useful because it brings out these questions that, that you point to. That being a woman really is primarily uh, this sort of um, concern with motherhood and everything it, it it furthers onwards. The only experience of unconditional love a person is likely to have in this world, for one, one of the rare experiences of happiness, of joy, and sacrifice. These are these are things that it's in in a certain way, it seems like people are not able to notice directly, but they need an introduction to it. It seems like uh, somebody needs to speak up of, as you're saying, uh, for all the crying women who don't necessarily want to go back to work, but they feel that they are pressed into it, that there is Mm -hmm. the, the, the great American social pressure against being American, strangely enough. And in a way, uh, a very dangerous thing, female solidarity and female nagging and pecking and so on turned against the very things that make women proud and in a certain way in charge. In a a strange sense, since the homes are somehow emptying up or not forming, uh, women seem to be turning public places or, or working spaces into homes with uh, with fairly catastrophic uh, consequences. Your job is not your home. That corporation can never really be your own domestic setting. You cannot be, uh, you know, your ruler there in a way you could be at your own uh, home.
1: Exactly. Becoming extremely domestic is really about, you know, leaving your public life, leaving your corporate longhouse escaping the hr dictates and rules um it, which is really really feels like it's run out like the mo- you know the strictest um monastery <laughs> it has its own liturgy its own catechism, and when you can break through free of that and you basically like you said you have your own home and your own castle basically and you have to then defend it and i mean i think really that's why they don't really want us Um, They don't want Americans owning homes anymore. They don't want us forming families anymore because then you have something to protect. You have something to defend. You have something to conserve. And I mean, if you look at the numbers, women who are married vote much more to the right than single women, women who have children vote more to the right than single women or child free, the child free people, people who have retained their birth gender (laughs) vote more to the right. So there's obvious if you look at those numbers and you're like a you know like a you're like a left wing activist a social engineer you would look at those numbers and say oh we have to stop that we have to figure out how to get you know lower home ownership rates. We have to lower marriage rates. We have to lower birth rates because that will produce us more loyal voters will grow our constituency, more dependent people, more over medical people who are lifetime medical, medicalized forever on whatever pills or whatever. And people who are independent of government who have children that they are shepherding through who have a say in that education, who have a, Who have skin in the game. And I like to say they have kin in the game. The more kin you have in the game, you know, the more kids you have, the more, the more you're going to take a stand against some horrible woke school board or teacher or drag queen story hour or whatever it is. And so it's obvious why they're very happy with the current situation. They've engineered it. It's worked too well. But of course, now their problem is that they're not able to reproduce themselves. And I like to say, you know, I quote Napoleon, never... Interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. Uh, they're ser- sterilizing themselves. They're limiting their own families. They're aborting their own future. And they're now sterilizing their children, which is truly, if you think about it, absolutely incredible. Mothers have been so like, mind flayed that they're willingly volunteering to sterilize their own children and like basically erase their grandchildren from existence. You know, it's like in Back to the Future, Marty McFly's photo of his siblings, and they just like disappear. That's your grandchildren just disappearing from the future.
0: There's something weird about this uh, almost open anti-life, anti-humanity campaign that's, that, that parades as elite morality. And as you say, and as you uh, show in chapter after chapter in the book, this is a once-in-our-lifetime opportunity to... Realize that people will stand up for their kids. People will fight. Some people are crazy, but most people will get angry about that. They will get angry about their own home, about their own kids, about their own lives. And discover that uh, it's a very dangerous thing to lose your self-respect. You will lose everything else afterwards. If you're not going to fight, if you're not going to become uh, extremely domestic, pretty much everything can be taken from you step by step. You will not find any ground to stand on. Because you'll have nobody to protect, and you'll also have nobody to defend, or or, or to nobody to encourage you to to defend yourself. Even uh, you know it, it, it's not part of the constitution. But uh, men who have a wife to take care of are much likelier to take care of themselves too. It's much easier to be a human if you don't have to do it all alone. And uh, as you say again and again in the book, there's a lot of people who do crazy things that. We can't entirely blame, and sometimes good Christians should pray for those people's lost souls or imperiled because they're obviously in a very bad situation. They've ended up alone, and it turns out it's a very hard life to live, and and then when that happens, the, the wrong decisions you make, the your, your bad choices, uh, you can't take them back. You have to figure out what you can do now. So they they really are in a truly uh, bad and horrible situation. It, to a large extent, as though turning liberal at some point is guaranteed to make you unhappy. <laughs> you can do it a little. Some people can do it quite a lot. Nobody can do it a great lot. And most people end up miserably unhappy on uh, that kind of liberalism. So uh, maybe there's a way to encourage some of these people as well to reconsider their choices while they still have choices to make. But at least for the people who haven't made the crazy choices, it's time to realize that this is the stand you have to take. This is the fight. Defend whoever it is that reassures you that you are a human being and it is a good thing to be human. There is somebody who actually loves you. That's a better guarantee than almost anything else you're going to get. And certainly a more solid guarantee than anything our politics is likely to offer in our lifetimes. Something as simple as, as a family has great and deep implications even in politics, never mind uh, the economy, whether it's corporate jobs or daycare or any of these other things, people will have to make a choice since, uh, as you say, given that liberalism makes people unhappy and doesn't even produce a lot of liberals, uh, liberalism has to come out through the schools, it has to come out through brainwashing, they will not leave your kids alone just because they don't have kids of their own.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of my job has become like inoculating my kids um, because there's no way unless you're unless you're Amish or, you know, raising your child uh, children on like a, a space station or something, you know, or Mars. There's no way to keep it out. My seven year old knows very well what Pride Month is, what the rainbow flags that are all over town mean. Even her little friends in her Catholic school, they've had to their mothers have to talk to them like. Well, the rainbow, well, in the Bible, it's God's covenant with man, but this is not that rainbow. (laughs) There's two different kinds of rainbows now. And that's a bad rainbow. This is a good rainbow. And like, they have to know, you know, they see it right in front of their eyes. Can't buy certain birthday cards because it has a unicorn and a rainbow and the unicorn and the rainbow both now mean, you know, things I cannot say. They're unspeakable sex acts. Okay. That's what those two things indicate. So you have to be very careful. Like my daughter would like a rainbow t-shirt. I'm like, oh, burn that, you know, cause it's different now. And there's a reason they targeted these symbols of innocence and in childhood and fairy tales. There's a reason like those now are taken because it's very attractive to children. A lot of my job as a parent is inoculating them and immunizing them because you're not always going to be with them. You're not you can't keep all the stuff out of the house. You can't let them never leave the house. What are you going to do? Right? They're going to listen to music. They're going to know who all these people are. We have access to the internet. We have the TV. You know, I mean, I'm extremely domestic, but we love movies. We love, you know, pop culture. I try to figure out how to get the good stuff and not have the, you know, bad stuff. It's always hard and there's stuff that's going to you know, they know about. And my kids are a little bit like me. They're kind of like I see like they like like to go online and like see memes and stuff. And like, you know, they're going to see other things, too. With the good stuff, there's bad stuff. But to inoculate your children, to immunize your children, that's one of the huge um things. I why reasons why I wrote this book, because that's how they're getting more recruits. They can't have their own kids, like you said. So they need your kids. They need other people's kids. And they're going to keep going until they run out of other people's kids. It used to be other people's money. Now it's other people's kids because they are not able to have their own. You know, they can like do the do any h- however many uterine implants and chest feeding that they want, they're not gonna produce enough, enough um shock troops for their gender army. So you have to immunize your kids. So how do you do that? You know, you have to it starts with school. The minute the drag queen walks in the kindergarten, you gotta go. It's done. You're out. You can't counter program that afterwards no they're in that school eight nine hours a day the teachers transsexual transgender they're gonna get the pride month in LAUSD here in los angeles it's like the law you have to do a full pride month program in your elementary school you know my brother had to opt out opt his girls out all week the whole week it was like basically like Let's talk about anal sex today. Brentwood School, a private school in Los Angeles filled with celebrities. Every CAA agent goes to Brentwood. Sixth grade sex ed. They talk about black queer love, whatever that is. These are 11-year-old boys. I have a 12-year-old son. Well, what did his reaction be to a, to a, classroom call, a class called Black Queer Love? I don't think he's ready. Do you know what I'm saying? So you have to immunize them. You have to inoculate them. That means worried about the school and also i mean for me the shortcut was really becoming a catholic baptizing them that was like my final form you know as a domestic extremist it's like like i say it's like getting a a gang tattoo on my forehead you know there's no hiding it now my normie liberal friends now i'm out like i can't go to the parties anymore i have five kids and we go to mass every sunday they can't talk to me because to them i'm like you know i don't even know in the clan or not you know i don't know it's really it's really worked so far like the program has worked for my kids they get it you know they listen. my daughter likes taylor swift but she's not you know she's you know she understands modesty they understand chastity they understand these virtues very deeply they're pro-life they believe in god you know they believe in heaven and i mean i didn't grow up with that at all Okay. And so the fact that it sort of worked and that obviously we have a lot of help with our, you know, like-minded friends in our school, but it's been really amazing because my childhood was not like this at all.
0: Uh, You know, sometimes it sounds like uh, Americans are now going through a phase where you have to have a a full community kid starter, where you have to think (laughs) about all of these things. How do you educate the kids? Who are the kids going to hang out with? Where do you find the community of like-minded people? How can people defend themselves in the sort of barbaric ruins of a country that was so grand and so confident and so mm. open to so many things? That's what happened to freedom? Now, freedom means indeed defending all of these things. And a, lot of, uh, and a lot of that, as you say, means inoculations, means getting up the courage to defend yourself and to say no to things. And uh, that's the unpleasant and painful stuff that people used to say it builds character. That's why it builds character, because it is painful, because it is uh, necessary. And uh, you realize that if you screw these things up, the consequences are not just uh, some embarrassment for you or uh, some rumors people will spread about you. There will be consequences for your family, for your kids, for the future. It it gives you an awareness of the stakes you're playing with, so to speak. It's maybe one of the few things that conservatives would learn that they're playing for much more serious things because they think about the future, they think about the kids and the grandkids and so on, if that should happen. And, uh, and as you say, in a way, it's even a transpolitical matter because it's about the human beings, our nature and our place in the world, God's providence and some sense of the duties we're supposed to live up to and, and the powers we're supposed to thrive by to the extent possible with all the suffering that is inevitable. All in all, there's just something more glorious and nobler in thinking of this kind of uh, striving than in the endless uh, bitching and whining uh, about oppression. So, there's probably <laughs> some winning formula in there. But also, what what reading through your book and talking to you now, I'm uh, I was struck how you your. Articulating something that uh, I talked to recently with uh, Steve Saylor about that, the left-wing Americans are increasingly dedicated to unhappiness, to misery. And as you remark in your book, it seems like all of these crazy women, once they hit their 40s, are on some kind of antidepressant, it's just guaranteed to make you unhappy. And you very soon go from therapy to pharmacology because you need stronger stuff to make you through the day. That's right, and and that also means that there's an opening for another part of America to become the party of people who want to be moderately happy, want to be reasonably content with uh, the good things they have in their lives, and uh, have the signs that of, of pride and satisfaction that come from achieving something worthwhile. And uh, you're not going to achieve, for the most part, something quite as uh, remarkable as raising kids you can admire and and for whose future you can hope
1: that's so thought provoking i mean i think that part of what we have to do part of our project is to make our side more appealing and not depressing and it's not whiny and it's not where unhappy and depressed people want to go and hang out um you know no we have to reject that fully and we have to be the side that is cool cooler Um, They've, you know, the left has like kind of, you know, owned coolness, cultural coolness, cultural edginess, hipster, hipsterdom for a long time with music and fashion and art and movies and stuff. You know, I think that era is sort of over now because when you look at the music and the art that they're making and the, the movies and the TV they're making, this stuff is so lame. It's so cringe. It's like, Barbie movie with the transgender Barbie and, you know, I mean, and they're going to tear down heteronormative uh, gender roles. Greta Gerwig, the feminist, like they're taking this sort of iconic classic. I'm sorry. You know, Barbie is like a little bit based, you know, she's like pretty and blonde, doesn't have a weight problem. She's not depressed. Right. (laughs) Like she's like a socialite debutante. And now they're making her, I don't even know. I haven't seen the movie yet. I can't wait to see what they've done. But I have very low hopes. But if we can kind of reclaim the mantle of of coolness, of chic, of beauty, um, and also have more fun and look, life is hard, right? But it's not going to get easier if you sit around and like, yeah, take your SSRIs and have 25 abortions and uh, make TikToks all day long in your house. Like that's not a good path to happiness and, you know, have a giant body count of 100 guys or whatever. There's maybe a better way. And so I think that we need to sort of live that out, live that out, live that example. And there, I think it's starting from where I'm sitting. It's the right that now is like, has claimed, reclaimed the mantle of like fun people that I've met, you know, since I became peachy have been just without question, so much smarter, so much more interesting you know, better looking, funnier, you know, just have so much more knowledge and appreciation for for arts and culture, the kind of art and culture that I grew up, I was an English major and art history major. I guess maybe my earliest like inclinations of like where I'm going to land on the spectrum of left to right was from that, Um, you know, going to Italy and, and spending time in medieval cathedrals like that was just like, I love that. And so these are this is where all the next sort of literature is going to come out of and the next sort of art cuz the the left is dead creatively they're just i mean you know this they're totally dead you know do we need another play about a queer black man's exploration of his like that's all i read about it's like the new stage plays in LA downtown the mark taper forum slave play or whatever you know like <laughs> what is what is who's who I don't want to see like like live sex acts on stage as art. Like, I'm sorry, no. And so I think that what we're doing is really making fun of it in a great way. I think humor and comedy and mockery are very effective and we just have to keep going. And eventually I, I hope that we can go that this sort of like art scene or this burgeoning, like creative, whatever it is, can kind of attract more of the people, like the ones who are not sure yet, who haven't been fully captured. We just have to keep going.
0: Yeah, I think uh, humor in a way is so important now because as you say, on the one hand, if you're fun, people will like you better, but also because the the major attraction at this point of progress is death. These are not people who promise some new achievement. It's just the, the glamour that attaches to evil, the, the sense of its inevitable conquest of the uh, eventually everything turns to dead matter in an entropic universe, mm-hmm. some kind of, a gloomy, eventually nihilist version of that kind. It might be the last thing people are left with, but it still has a a weird grandeur. It's sort of like an America, like the cowboy facing the desert, but now there's just desert. No more cowboy. (laughs) All you are left with is the death. Somehow, yeah, we have to bring back the fun and the daring, the, the cowboys, and of course, the why America became America, which was... The the unusual uh, spiritedness of American women Uh, already in Tocqueville's Democracy in America, he does not bother to talk about the education of men, but only about the education of women at length repeatedly on the understanding that men will be more or less what women want them to be. And uh, this worked for the better in the better times in America, and it's working for the worse now, of course, as, as you also point out in your book, to the extent to which Men have conformed themselves to the dictates of feminism and the sort of institutionalized emasculation to uh, greater levels of unhappiness. But, uh, you know, as anybody who has seen boys can tell, they they don't submit easily. They, they pout, they fight, they scream, they will not give up, they will not lie down. And so there's probably a lot to appeal to there. At least in this generation, we've probably lost all the shrieking harpies of the single left. But uh, there's probably, that means, I think, practically politically and morally, uh, a great reservoir of young men out there who will uh, strive to do something better. They're already in a pretty miserable situation. Offering them a way out is probably a way to succeed. And I think uh, that would be the audience or the first audience for this kind of art, for this kind of culture we're talking about. As well as uh, as we we're saying before, people also just need a lot of encouragement. They just need to see that uh, Peach is out there, you know, doing it for all us sinners. <laughs> kind of domestic extremist version of the Big Lebowski is 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 what I'm saying here.
1: Yeah, don't 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 worry, teachers. These men are nihilists. It's one of my favorite movies. You know that. Um, many lessons, many 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 lessons in that movie. I could go on and on. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, I am seeing that with young men, and I think that the young, the Zoomer men, the young guy, Gen Z or whatever, they I do have a lot of hope. And I, you know, I I met some at a book reading last month or two months ago, and these were twenty-two year old guys in Los Angeles. Okay, and they were like, knew who I was and read my essays and works I did to you know hear me talk and my goodness like how do they exist wait what we haven't neutered them all we haven't castrated them all yet you know their testicles are not in a jar on a doctor's shelf yet okay there is hope like men of the west like there is hope and that was so amazing to me and I myself am a mother of several gen z or younger men boys and one of them is a, you know, I guess he's a fascist now. I guess he's a Nazi now because of what MSNBC said that if you work out, you are a you're a fascist. And now here's the thing: he he is on the right. I have successfully brainwashed him on the, to the right, but it's not because he works out. It's because he's smart and, and because he's aware of the what the left is offering him is nothing. Right? As a as a young, you know, white Catholic boy, he knows that. The left doesn't want anything to do with him. They would like him to shut up and go curl up in a ball and die. But he hes he is a right-wing bodybuilder, okay? And that, again, that is a, what an incredible way to immunize a young man against the cultural rot. You know, once you're in touch with health and fitness and what your body can do and how strong you can be, I mean, he started winning powerlifting medals, Okay, this year. I mean, he's, he's buff, like he's a buff guy. was never like that. I was not athletic. My husband is not like some, you know, giant athlete. And so we're like, where did he get this? I don't know. But he's, you know, he's a straight A student. He's immunized from it now, you know, and like, I mean, forget it, even yes, he's Catholic and all that stuff. If you care about your body, if you care about your health, you're probably less likely to fill yourself with drugs. You're less likely to become, you know, a fentanyl addict. You're less likely to become an alcoholic. You're you probably don't want to take any uh, Prozac or whatever it is because you know that'll have effects on your gains. Okay, you won't get as good a pump or whatever. <laughs> okay, and um and 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 so that is incredible immunizer for them. And one of the reasons I did write the book was to try to kind of. Well, who are these guys going to marry? Like, who? I'm telling everyone to get married young and have kids and don't wait till you're 30 to get married, but like who are they going to actually find? Because the girls today are they're looney tunes and that's what these young men are kind of reacting to. You know, they're kind of reactionaries just because they're in it. And they're seeing these other women their their peer group lost their ever-loving minds. And so one of the reasons I wrote the book was I don't know if any of them will actually read the book. If I burn, burn my book, how, how, how dare I write this? Um, But I'm hoping that some of them get the message. And the thing is, some of them are, some of them really are. I'm I'm not the only one writing about this. There's a couple of writers in England, um, Louise Perry, Mary Harrington writing about the ravages of feminism and what it's done to women. And actually today I just saw, um, Louise Perry, who's a friend of mine online. She's hosting in London. She wrote the book, um, Against the sexual revolution. She is hosting today in London uh, a dating, like a live dating event for fan- readers of hers between young men and women. Her readers asked for this. People contacted her in Europe who were like, We want to get the readers together and we'll see what happens. Um, people have told me that their friend read an essay I wrote about, you know, why you should become a mom, why you should become a parent. And they had, they, they decided that day, I'm going to go for it. And they had, had a baby. And so I just want to say, if anyone out there reads my book and then has a child, you are welcome to name the child Peachy.
0: Uh, Yeah, maybe that should be your next book, Uh, (laughs) Peachy's Guide to Marriage, uh, dating (laughs) for marriage rather than for heartbreak, depression, and eventually turning into a stone dry husk. (laughs) Uh, You're right. On the side of young men, there is an opportunity because largely beauty is health and strength. There's no similar opportunity for women and uh, in, and indeed uh, a conservatism or a right-wing aesthetics that could appeal to young women, partly because it promises marriage and happiness would, uh, would be uh, very welcome.
1: Yeah. Is there a similar lifestyle for young women to aspire to? I mean, really right now there's like, you can be, you know, Taylor Swift or you can be Lizzo. You know, or worse, there's worse than Lizzo. Um, Cardi B, you know, passed out drunk, getting carried into the hotel in Paris. I saw some video. I Honestly, I think what they're looking at are just women, girls on TikTok. That's probably not good. <laughs> there's like a, it's like a Wild West of all kinds of things on there, and there isn't really a great role model. Like I guess men had have you know, BAP, Bronze Age pervert, and and guys like that on the right, right nationalist. Um, there's a lot of, there's there's a lot of like kind of male. I know writers and creators who are very interesting and smart and they're proffering a lifestyle that's that's very appealing that's an antidote to mainstream American culture yeah the 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 the, on the female side um there's like people like me and my fellow female writers out there has one of us like hit it big among Gen Z women yet I mean I I don't know I mean I was I would love to but we'll see maybe eventually that's where we need to go
0: yeah, somehow things that uh, young women admire are much likelier to come from the media than in the case of young men, because it really is the case that uh, you're talking about raw egg nationalist. If you start slunking eggs, you're <laughs> probably going to stop reading anything left wing or even liberal. It's It's likely to follow. I can't think of things as simple as that. For young women, (laughs) and it seems like it would need an entire industry of things to look at, things to read, things to listen to, uh, given how much more social girls are than boys. The I'm guessing that the the kid with his uh, weightlifting doesn't need to talk about his weightlifting with a lot of other guys and sit down and compare (laughs) and I don't know what. He can probably do fine by himself. Maybe he just needs to figure out what his favorite rock music is. (laughs) That could be the end of that conversation. But with women, it's going to involve a lot more socializing of one kind or another. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you win if you get an entire culture and you need an entire culture to win because it does mean educating young women on how to become... uh, Serious, attractive, marriageable, and uh, confident rather than desperate in front of a screen. Yeah, not easy.
1: Yeah, not easy. And this is why, you know, I, I paraphrase uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. Hell is, hell is other people's children. And especially hell is other people's teenage children. And so especially when you have a young daughter, I have a teenage daughter. You know, who her friends are matters way more than what her brother's doing at the gym or, you know, even when she's learning it in math class or whatever it is, who her girlfriends are, is it okay. And I can do so much. I can do this and that and this, but once they hit 14, 15 years old, you know, the influences become much more peer directed. I mean, obviously everyone has that. And so if you have done your homework and done a good job of providing those kids, that teenage girl with friends who are normal, or as they would say, extremely domestic or you know weird they're pro-life Catholic. They are not allowing their daughter to wear, you know, the G string bathing suits everyone is now required to wear from age like 10 and up. If you're a woman, you have to have a totally exposed uh derriere. Um that's not me. (laughs) I don't get it. So you have to kind of enforce bathing suit standards and you have to make sure that the friends, the girlfriends that she's talking to and with most of the time are like just like you or even more to the right more extreme we have friends who are catholic who are they're probably horrified at what i do allow my kids to watch you know because i'm like an 80s movie lover and so we're probably watching things that, that not even allowed at some of the friends houses but you know i'm a convert okay so i like a little bit um i can't help it okay i have to just be me but, I mean, we do have all these rules and stuff, but, you know, I'm probably mo- more lax than they are. But to other people, I'm probably just this crazy, you know, I'm Magda Goebbels, OK, and so you have to be careful of who your teenage daughter is is associating with. I mean, forget boys. I'm talking about girls. It's really the other girls who are the problem. So, for example, we are going to Taylor Swift. OK, don't I don't want to get hate mail. I, we're going to Taylor Swift. She's coming to L.A., you know, She, her songs are clean enough. Okay. She's not stripping down. She's not Lizzo. She's not Cardi B. It's going to be fine. I think, but there's this whole culture around the concerts that I'm having to grapple with. Like you have to make the friendship bracelets and you have to have the outfits and the thing and that. And like, so far so good. I'm a little nervous. I think it'll be okay i think it'll be like pg right so but it's just like then how far down did the taylor hole do go
0: you know you should write about the the taylor swift girl cult oh i am i am writing about that there's gonna be a a whole lot to learn but yeah i guess we've come to the to the end of this conversation there's nowhere to go after taylor swift (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's done
0: Thanks so much for doing this. It was lovely chatting. I had to mute myself so that I would not burst out in laughter and interrupt your uh, <laughs> uh, allocutions. And uh, as I said, I, I am sure that the book will be a success. I think it's t- the right time for somebody on the right to speak in a, a witty and provocative way. And uh, I, that's because so many people need a bit of encouragement and need to realize that they're not that alone, and that being American is not That's yet right. outlawed. It's just uh, dangerous enough to be attractive these days.
1: That's right. I mean, it's you know, if you wanna, if you wanna uh, join a very edgy, very underground fringe group, like become extremely domestic. You know, convert to Catholicism and have four, four or five kids. Forget being a juggalo, This is like the new jam. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, this is it. We're going to win from here.
0: Indeed. All the best with the book, Peachy, and thanks for the laughs. All the best <laughs> until next t- time.
1: Thanks, Titas.